Well, good morning, church family. God bless you on this Lord's Day. It is an honor and a blessing to be able to be here this morning to preach the Word of God. I certainly want to thank our pastor, and I said our pastor, uh, for inviting me to deliver uh, God's Word here today. Uh, he is an awesome and wonderful under-shepherd, and I am so incredi- incredibly proud to be able to call him my pastor. Not a perfect man, none of us are perfect, but he is a perfect fit for Myrtle Grove Baptist Church. Amen? Amen. He wanted me, he texted me last night, he said, you tell the folks I, uh, I'm thinking about them, I love them. You know, when you have a man of God that loves the Word, loves the Lord with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and he does, loves the Word of God, and loves the people of God, then you've got a powerful under-shepherd who can do great things, and I'm I know God's going to use him in a mighty way, is using him. You know, it was three, a little over three years ago that I preached my final sermon uh, here at Myrtle Grove Baptist Church, 2019, and the last Sunday of May. Man, Thomas went by so quick. And that was my final sermon as your pastor. But today, I'm delivering this message as a uh, fellow church member, just like you. And uh, I believe the Lord has given me a word of encouragement. I certainly pray that uh, God's word will encourage your heart today. It was on this date, as Chris had mentioned earlier, some 21 years ago, that we remember the terrorist suicide attacks carried out by Islamic terrorists against our country. We remember, and our memories certainly go out uh, with a lot of heavy hearts, for the nearly 3,000 that perished, lost their lives on that day. But we also remember the heroes of that day. We remember those uh, 40 passengers and crew on Flight 93 who instead of seeing more casualties took place, they went ahead and made sure that that plane would not land on its designated target that the terrorists had in mind. It was their bravery that probably saved the lives of many hundreds, maybe thousands of more American citizens. You know, here in our country, we have a way of honoring our heroes, don't we? We set aside days just like this to remember them. We build monuments and plaques. You know, we do that in the sports world as well. I mean, take American football. We honor extremely talented athletes by inducting them into what we call the Hall of Fame. Did you know that God has a Hall of Fame? The Lord indeed has a Hall of Fame, my friend. And uh, probably a better name for it, instead of fame, is the Hall of Heroes. The Hall of Heroes. We find that uh, description of these people, it's not exhaustive by any means, but their names are written there in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11. Uh, If you would stand and honor the reading of the Word of God, let me give you just a brief uh, introduction to that. The inspired writer of the book of Hebrews went ahead and listed 16 Old Testament personalities by name, and some of them he described some of the great things they did. Then he summarized it all by saying, in these individuals, because there was a woman there, a prostitute named Rahab, these individuals were approved by their faith. Now, I just want to read a portion uh, of this particular chapter. Uh, to give us a little a bit of an understanding of what, uh, in God's opinion, a hero is. 
In verse 32 of chapter 11, the Bible says, And what more should I say? Time is too short for me to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging fire, escaped the, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength after being weak, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. Wow. Uh, may God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Friends, I, I think you'll agree with me. When you look at that list, we don't see perfect people. In fact, in many cases, just the opposite. And yet God used these men and declared there in that verse 39 that all of these individuals were approved, commended for their faith. What does it take to be a hero of the faith? You know, all of us need heroes, right? It was uh, several weeks ago that I got a call from a young lady uh, who was a member of my church in West Palm Beach, Florida, where I served for 10 years at First Baptist Church of Lake Park. Her daddy, a wonderful man of God, Paul Bailey, went home to be with Jesus. Now, Paul was an amazing man. He walked with the Lord. He was a man of the word. He was a deacon. He was also a Gideon. And Paul was never, he was not bashful about sharing his faith. He owned a paint store, Paul Bailey's paint store, a few blocks away from the church where I, where I was pastoring, his church. And sometimes I'd go in there during the daytime, and if there were no customers, Paul would be sitting by the door at a table, and he had his Bible open. He'd be reading the Word of God. Well, when his daughter Dallas, his adult daughter, called me, she said, My daddy's going home to be with Jesus. Our hearts are broken. Would you come down and speak at his home going? Well, for me, friend, that was an honor. I love this man. He was a lo not only a loyal servant of the Lord for that church, he was a wonderful friend to me. And uh, Dallas, uh, his, his daughter, his only daughter, was organizing everything. And, and, of course, she took time to write out a tribute to her dad. Now, she wasn't sure if she could read it or not, if she could hold up emotionally. So she said, if I can't read it, would you read this tribute? I said, sure. She sent it to me. What an amazing uh, tribute she wrote. In fact, I want to read a portion of that to you. When, it, when the day came for the uh, homegoing celebration, it was like a homecoming for many of those folks that were in uh, that church during my tenure. Uh, pastorate showed up. We were all young couples back then. This was back in 1987 with small children. Now they're all grown up grandpas and grandmothers like me. But there they were. And Dallas got up and read this incredible tribute. Let me read just a portion of what she said. Amazing. She started out, My dad is my hero. He was a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, lived his life uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, never missed an opportunity to introduce Jesus to anyone he met. He was a committed servant of his church at First Baptist Lake Park since 1970, where he served as a chairman of deacons many times. He was also a member of the Gideons, where he actively spread the gospel throughout our community. Listen to what she says here. His life was a walking testimony of God's love for us. He was a devoted uh, to the love of his life here on earth, his precious wife, Verdi, for more than 55 years. And his family was the joy of his life. He loved being one with nature, and he called it God's creation. 
He was noble in thoughts and in his actions, expected nothing in return for his efforts. He was a true picture of Christ. My goodness. Do you know when that young lady was reading that tribute, what was rolling around in my mind? I was thinking to myself, you know, what difference has my life made? When it comes time for me to go home to be with the Lord and my adult children are there, could they get up and say of me what this young woman said of her daddy? You know, we all need to be thinking about that. One thing about death, <laughs> we're all going to face it, everybody in this room. You know, what does it take to be a hero? She would say, my dad's my hero. What does it take to be a hero of faith? Well, folks, I want to pick out one individual in that hall of heroes in chapter 11 uh, there of the book of Hebrews, and that's the man Gideon. If you'll take your Bible now, if you have them, or you could see the scripture on the screen, and let's look at Gideon's chapter, uh, Judges rather, chapter 6 in the Old Testament. Let me give you a little bit of background. In the opening verses of chapter 6, first 10 verses, we get a little bit of a background before I actually pick it up and read the text. This Gideon's life occurred at a time when Israel once again, uh, you know, Israel had ups and downs in their faithfulness to the Lord all throughout the book of Judges. Well, this was a time when Israel again had turned away from God and turned to sin and sinful living. They had compromised their faith. Therefore, the Bible tells us in the opening verses of chapter 6 there in Judges that God turned them over to their enemies. You know what he did? I believe God removed the hedge of protection he had over Israel. Because you remember, as long as uh, the Israelites were faithful to the Lord, he had that hedge of protection around his people. Dr would drive the enemies out under Joshua's reign and allow the people to possess the land. But now, because they turned away from God, God the Father removed the hedge of protection, and the enemies came in, Midian came in, the Midianites, to oppress the people. It got so bad that every time, you know, Israel uh, would plant their crops, the Midians would come in great numbers and attack them. They're, they were full of fear because their faith in God was gone. So they would hide out in caves and up in mountains and other strongholds to escape the sight of the enemy. They so impoverished Israel that, uh, uh, you know, they had no more food. They were, they were starving. They were poverty-stricken. So Israel cried out to the Lord. Now, I want to pick it up. Uh, and if you would stand with me again, listen to the Word of God here in, chapter, in verse 11 in chapter 6. Now, there's a lot we can learn. Hey, listen, there's a lot we can learn uh, here in Gideon's life about what it means to be a hero a faith hero, a hero of faith in God's eyes. The Bible says, Now as Israel cried out to the Lord, the angel of the Lord came, sat under the oak, that was an Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abezrite. His son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine vat in order to hide it from the Midianites. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? Where are all the wonders that our fathers told us about? They said, hasn't the Lord brought you out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and deliver Israel from the power of Midian. Am I not sending you? And he said to him, to the Lord, Please, Lord, 
How can I deliver Israel? Look, my family is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the youngest. Some translations say, and I'm the weakest in my father's house. But I will be with you, said the Lord to him, and you'll strike Midian down as if it were one man. You may be seated. Now, folks, there are several things here, actually three things I want to point out to you, uh, things that we need to know when it comes to being a hero of the faith. First of all, if you notice, God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Gideon was no, uh, you know, he was no man that people look up to. In fact, by his own description, he would say, when, I'm sure, when the voice came to him, though not written here, hey, mighty warrior, Gideon was probably looking over his shoulder saying, who are you talking to? Not me, right? Is there somebody behind me? He didn't see himself that way. He saw himself as weak, not only him, but coming from a weak family that was the weakest family in all of Israel. Yet God chose him. Indiscriminately, God uses ordinary people. God uses you and me. Ordinary folks to do extraordinary things. You know, when you look at uh, the problem today, I believe with many believers, you know, there are a lot of folks still going to church. But a lot of people may, may view themselves weak like Gideon did. Let me tell you something. When God said mighty warrior, he wasn't referring to what Gideon was at that moment. God was referring to what Gideon, he knew Gideon could be. It's not our ability. It's not what we can bring to the table. Hey, listen, when God calls you friend, it's not what you bring to the table. It's what God brings to the table. He's willing to take an ordinary man and woman just like you and I and do extraordinary things. Why? Why does he do it? So God gets the glory. No glory will go to anyone. The Lord, he, God will not allow anyone. He'll not allow you and I to ever steal the glory. For the glory will belong to the Lord. And he delights in using weak people. Look what the Apostle Paul said uh, in 1 Corinthians. Listen to these words. Brothers, consider your calling. Not many are wise from a human perspective. Not many powerful. Not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. In other words, God delights in doing incredible, wonderful things by taking ordinary men and women that no one, women that no one would even give a second look at and doing extraordinary things. So everyone will know when everything is said and done, at the end of the day, it was by his strength and power, not by our might. Amen? You know, there's another uh, very important thing. Not only uh, do we need to understand that it's our availability, not our ability, but friend, here's something else. God will never call on you, send you to do anything where not he will not also provide for you to get the job done. I want you to say with me, listen, listen, I'm going to make a statement. I want you to repeat it. There is no guiding without God's providing. Would you say that? There is no guiding without God's providing. If God is calling on us to do something, and he has, by the way, for all of us here collectively, we have a call. It's called the Great Commission. Go ye therefore into the world and make disciples. In other words, share your witness. Share the good news of the gospel. And I, like he told Gideon, am I not sending you? <laughs> Look at the one sending us. You know what the problem is today? A lot of folks don't know what they have, who they are in Jesus Christ. 
Look at the shape of America right now. If uh, the majority of professing Christians in this nation really understood who we are in the Lord, man, the shape of things that we're seeing right now would be totally different. Think about this. When you were born again, you were not only forgiven of all your sins, past, present, and future, but dear friend, you were adopted into God's family. Did you know that? That makes you an heir to every promise in the Word of God. Everything God said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and my God shall supply all of my needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Every single promise, you're an heir to all of that because you're a child of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Not only that, something even more significant. Friend, when you were born again and you profess Christ as your Savior, put your trust in Jesus Christ, did you know what we've received? We received the Holy Spirit of God. They came to live inside of our body. We have it better than Gideon did. All the Old Testament characters in God's hall of heroes, there in Hebrews 11, back in that day, God would come upon a believer in a mighty way like he did Gideon. In our day, God comes to dwell within us. He lives in your body, friend. God lives in your body. That's why the scripture could say so clearly by an inspired writer in the New Testament, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen. You know, I think it's like the Superman. You remember back in the 1950s, not the Superman movie, but the old black and white TV series, Superman, uh, said, and who disguises Clark Kent, mild man reporter for the Daily Planet newspaper, fights the never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. I mean, everybody saw Clark Kent during the daytime as the mild mannered reporter. But boy, when trouble came, what happened? He had looked for a phone booth. Some of you don't know what phone booths are. He'd look for a phone booth, and he'd be in there only a few seconds and come out, what, as the man of steel, right? The man of steel. When Gideon, it came time for battle. After he received God's call, we have a verse here in verse 34 where it says, The Spirit of the Lord took control of Gideon. Look at the language. Took control of Gideon. He blew the ram's horn, that is Gideon did, and the Abedzerites rallied behind him. In other words, before all that, all they saw was the mild man, Gideon, you know, who saw himself as weak. But boy, when the day came for Gideon to rise up to the call of God, God took control of that man, and, and what appeared before the eyes of all the Israelites were not weak old Gideon, mild man reporter for the Daily Planet newspaper, but was a powerful man of God, the man of steel, better than steel. God himself took control of that man. This is what happens when you're filled with the Holy Ghost. When God calls you to something and you pray, Lord, I can't do this on my own. Fill me with your power. Fill me with your spirit. The Lord, dear friend, will honor that if you have a pure heart and a clean heart. He'll take control of your body. He'll take control of you and use you to do, as an ordinary man or woman, extraordinary things for God. Notice, if you would, please, the verses here. When God first appears uh, to Gideon, listen to the excuses in verse 13 and following. God says to the angel representing the Lord, Please, sir, please, sir. If the Lord is with us, then why have all these things happening to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about the miracles? They said, hasn't the Lord brought you out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to Midian. Isn't it interesting? In the first 10 verses, uh, the uh, inspired writer describes why things were happening. 
getting in at that moment because of a compromised faith, was blinded to, uh, of the fact that it was Israel's sin that caused the oppression to come on them. God didn't abandon Israel. He didn't walk away from them. Israel abandoned God. They walked away from the Lord. God simply removed the hedge at that moment, not to destroy the nation of Israel, but to bring them back to an awareness of their need for him. You're from the, I mean, is this not speaking about America right now? Do you see the parallel? You know, I walk around, I'm hearing Christians saying, oh, um, we're losing our country. What are we going to do? And go, God, do miracles again like you did in days of old. Save your people in our glorious loving. Let me tell you something, Ron. America has sinned, not everybody, but even within the body of Christ, how many millions of compromised Christians that were, listen, that were seduced by prosperity, seduced by the prosperity we had after World War II in this nation, were seduced to the fact that it was, you know, blinded to the fact that it was God who delivered this great country. We were the greatest missionary-sending country in the world. Now, places like Korea are sending missionaries here to this country, you know? When you, if you think that politics is going to save America, then, friend, you're dead wrong. I don't care who gets in the office and who wins the election. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe we need to have a voice and vote our conscience. I do, my whole heart. But, friend, if you come to a point where you're thinking, that's going to save this country, you're thinking wrong. There's only one thing that will save, truly, be redemptive for America, and that is a revived church in America. What does the Word of God say? If my people, my people, not the lost, don't be shocked what the lost are doing. They're lost. Naturally, they're going to act like lost people. But if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves, seek my face, turn, that's repentance, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear their prayers, okay, and bring healing to the land. Whatever happens to future America... Folks, that's one thing. But our Great Commission, what we need to be doing right now is to make sure that we're right. In fact, the second important thing besides uh, God using ordinary people is God will not use a dirty vessel. Now watch this. Look at get back to the story of Gideon. Notice, if you would please, after Gideon received the call, God's, and God confirmed it through some miraculous things that the Lord did to confirm that call in Gideon's mind. Then pick it up in verse 25 of chapter 6. There was something else that needed to be done. On that very night, the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull and a second bull, uh, seven years old. Tear down the altar of Baal that belongs to your who? Do you see what I'm saying? That belongs to your father. In other words, Gideon was even blind to the sin and compromise in his own home. Dear friend, here's the principle. God will not use a dirty vessel. I'm going to ask you, are all your sins confessed up to date? Are all your sins? God won't use you. If there's unconfessed sin in your life or my life, he will not use a dirty vessel. We, uh, one it was Bertha Smith, a great woman of God. Uh, missionary, wonderful lady. She's in heaven now. She said at one time, <laughs> you know, make sure your sins are confessed up to date. Another preacher, Jack Taylor, a friend of mine from uh, years ago in West Palm, would say it like this. 
If you know you're, if you know you're, you're sinning or you sin, admit it and quit it. <laughs> admit it, then quit it. Keep your walk pure before the Lord. God will only use a clean vessel. You see, repentance simply means what? Turning away from idols in your life. Now, you may say to me, well, preacher, I'm not, I'm not worshiping any idol. I'm not bound down to any statue. What's an idol? An idol, an idol is anything you love more, listen now, serve more, honor more than you do your Lord. That's an idol. Got any idols in your life? It could be materialism. That you, you know, that you're all about materialism, having things. It could be uh, pride, could be pleasure, whatever it might be. If you love it more, are serving it more, spending more of your time with it, honoring it more, then, friend, that's an idol for you. You know, even your persona, your own character or image can be an idol. Let me ask you, who, and these are all the questions I've asked myself, by the way, okay, in self-examination. Who's sitting on the throne of your mind and heart? Who's calling all the shots right now of what you're going to do, how you're going to spend your time, how you're going to spend your money, what's important to you? Friend, let me tell you something. If you're sitting on that throne and you're in control on the throne of your mind and heart, then you better dethrone yourself real quick and put Jesus Christ and the cross back up there. Amen? God won't use a dirty vessel. Now, there's one more truth, and I want you to hear this. God will only use obedient people. Obedient people. The call of God may come to our life sometimes individually. You know, it's different for you. Maybe, I, I mean, I mentioned the one collective call we all have, which is the Great Commission. But specifically, specifically according to your spiritual gifts, God may call you to do something very special within your realm or influence, your arena of influence. Now, what he may be calling you to do certainly may seem impossible to you. I mean, mathematically impossible. Look at the math that was going on here in Gideon's life. Look at chapter 7, verse 1 and following. Listen to this. So Jerubal, that is Gideon now, and everyone who was with him, got up early and camped beside the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them, below the hill of Moriah in the valley. And the, <laughs> you got to listen to this, folks. So the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many people here, too many people for me to hand the Midianites over to you or else Israel might brag that I did it myself. Remember the glory of God as you? Now, uh, anyone in the present now, announce in the presence of the people, whoever is fearful and trembling may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. Do you see this? So 22,000 people turn back, only leaving 10. Do you see that? They had 32,000 people. They were probably all standing there saying, hey, we're much. Let me tell you something. Here's the truth. More in God's equation may not be much. May not be much. Don't look at these mega churches, many of them, not all of them, many of them, and think, oh, man, look what they got. Look at their buildings. Look at what they're able to do, the money they have for their programs. God, you know, it may be that God's not even impressed with all of that. Because God's not looking at the outside. What does God look at, friend? God's looking at our heart. Not only did he dwindle it down to 10,000. And why? Because they were fearful, lacked the courage. He said, go home. I don't need you. Then he tests the Israelites some more and finally whittles that number down from 10,000 to 300. And you say, whoa, wait a minute now. 300? 
Israelites against what? Thousands of Midianites and all their other accomplices, the other pagan nations. This is crazy, ludicrous, mathematically impossible. You know what the problem is? Too many of us in God's army, too many Christians are all about quantity, where God is all about quality. He didn't care about how many, how big you are, how much you have. God's looking to the heart, friend. He's examining our heart. How much do we love him? How much are we willing to sacrifice for the Lord? I mean, Fred, if it comes down to it, put our life on the line for Jesus. It's quality that God's looking at. You know, uh, in Judges chapter 22, the Lord took those 300 men and did what? When Gideon's men blew their 300 trumpets. He didn't say when Gideon's men drew their swords. Did you see that? Forget about the swords. It's kind of all kind of like marching around the walls of Jericho. When Gideon's men blew their 300 trumpets, the Lord sent the swords of each man in the army, that is the enemy, against each other. He struck them with fear in their heart. And they destroyed themselves. And then it says, the enemy fled. God took 300 faithful men that were willing to lay it all, to, that, that believed God for an impossible, extraordinary victory. Do you know that uh, this church right here at Little Grove Baptist, that uh, there is an example of that kind of faith? I was here, I know it. Back in the years between 1994 and 96, here at Myrtle Grove Baptist, those were some very dark and difficult days for this church. Many of you weren't here. You don't know it. Uh, some of the senior adults were here. That was hard. Without going in detail, division occurred within the leadership and that affected the entire church family. As a result of that, a few hundred people fled. They got out, <clears throat> left the church. And the vast majority of those people were younger people. It left about a little better than the number Gideon had, about 350, maybe if you count all the homebound, maybe 400 folks. But they had had 800. It dwindled that number down. And all the staff left. By the time I arrived uh, in 1997, there was no pastor, no staff. Is Kathy Llewellyn sitting here? Is Kathy here? Kathy was working with the youth. Horace Neely, good friend Horace, who's on the search committee. Horace got up and helped me like an associate pastor up here. I mean, friend, it, but let me tell you, God had sent before I got here a wonderful interim pastor named Dr. Jim Hackney. He came in and loved the people, loved the people, encouraged the people, helped them, rebuilt again the spirit that had been so badly beaten down. When I arrived, I found just a little bit more than what Gideon had. Senior adults, the vast majority, senior adults, hardly any young people at all. And yet I found a group that were not going to give up. They had been beaten. It was hard. It was tough. The buildings were in disarray. This worship center was falling apart. You know, a piece of ceiling fell, fell over one time and hit somebody on the head. We were talking about renovation. I mean, it was bad. The Butler Chapel, that thing was a mess. You know, things were looking really bad. Yet, they had laid a foundation over here for the Family Life Center. 
And when I got there, I found a people were a spirit of optimism, not in everybody, but a great number of people, that spirit of optimism was beginning to grow. We can rebuild again. God's not finished with us yet, many of them would tell me. And many of the leadership, you know, were encouraged, thinking, it's, you know, God's going to bless us. He's not done with us. There was one man in particular, a deacon, a Gideon. His name was Jim Whitney. And this man had a huge influence over all the other deacons in the church. Right, Jim? Right, Johnny? And Jim would say to the folks, listen, man, if we honor God right now, like Israel, God will raise up, us up again. We will reach our community for Christ. We'll, we'll build that family life center and see young people and children in it. Don't you lose heart. Remember, well, the first Sunday I, I came to preach, right here, Jim came in my office, <clears throat> and he told me, he said, Pastor, let me tell you something. If you want to go visiting and, and knocking on doors in the community, if no one else comes, you can count on me. Shortly after that, when I called for an evangelism training that we're going to go out in teams into the community, because of Jim's influence and others like him, 30-plus senior adults, seniors, who rolled up their sleeves and said, here we are, preacher. And back then it was like 16 weeks of training in faith evangelism. But do you know what happened in the months and years following? For the next four years, 40 to 50 lost people were saved and baptized in this church, leading right up to the hurricane in 2004. And that year, there was 100, 105 that was baptized. God took what some people at that time, and I had preachers call me saying, man, you don't want to go to that church. Preach, that church is dead and dying. There's no future there. And even at best, some would say, well, the glory days are gone for Myrtle Grove Baptist Church. All oh, the glory days are gone. No, 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 no. Glory days weren't gone. God wasn't looking at the quality of the buildings or the number of people. God was looking for that 300-plus faithful men and women who are willing to say, yes, God, you can use me, do with me whatever you want to do with me. I'm available. I may not be much, may not have a lot of ability, but I'm available to you. There's Kathy. <laughs> but I'm available to you right now. God, come in. Take control of my life like you did Gideon there in the book of Judges. Folks, that's what God's looking for. He's looking for folks like that. Let me ask you a question, okay? Do you believe in the future of Myrtle Grove Baptist Church? Raise your hand if you do. Let me ask you another question. Do you believe God could take you? Don't tell me God can't use you. Don't you dare say that. Do you believe if you said, Lord, here I am, I don't have much, not that talent, I'm getting old, have back problems, <laughs> Those senior, seniors back there, a lot of back problems back there in 1990. That doesn't stop them from doing stuff. Would you be willing to say, Lord, here I am, like the prophet Isaiah, take me, use me, Lord. Use me now. I, I believe in the future. I believe in the future of Myrtle Grove Baptist Church. God has sent a godly under-shepherd to this fellowship. I've watched that young man. I've had... Spent hours with him talking. He loves God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He loves the Word of God. He's a faithful expositor of the Word of God. 
He loves you. You got Cody, you got Drew and Chris. I know this guy for 15 years working with him. They got pure hearts. I believe these men, though I don't know them well. I can see the evidence. You've got a great team assembled. You've got deacons now that love each other, are united now, right now. Could you believe with me this morning and pray with me this morning for the spirit of Gideon to fall down on this remnant of people right here that are currently members, all of you, here at Middle Grove Baptist Church? I want you to stand with me, if you would, please, okay? Here's the challenge. How many of you, I mean truly, truly, friend, believe that the spirit of the living Jesus Christ is in this room right now? Would you raise your hand? Okay, if he's here, wait a minute, wait a minute, don't, don't clap yet. Okay. If he's here, then he is privy to everything we're, we're going to say and do in this room. Am I correct? He can hear everything, right? Then here's the invitation. And beginning with uh, our servant leaders, our deacons. How many of you would come to this altar and pray with this fellow member? I'm not your under shepherd. I'm a member. And would stand before the Lord here at this altar right now, today, this morning, and say, Father, here I am. Use me. Send the fire and the power that Gideon had. Let it fall fresh and new on our fellowship. Oh, God, use us. We believe, Lord, you can rebuild this fellowship strong, that this fellowship, Murder Grove Baptist, can be a powerful force in the community. If you're willing to pray a prayer like that, come to the altar right now. Servant leaders, you lead the way, okay? Bible teachers, if you believe the book you're teaching every Sunday, you come down. We're going to gather right here. We're going to pray collectively. Not, not too many guest preachers can come in and do all the stuff I'm doing right now. But I was here. I have a history with this dear church. I love this. I love all of you. If anybody wants to see this ministry succeed, it's this guy. I invested a lot of years, my wife and I, and still am doing right now, currently. Before I pray, okay, understand. Understand this. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing, absolutely nothing, is impossible with God. Don't you say, hey, where were the miracles that I hear about my father? You create by your partnership with the Lord in the power of his Holy Spirit. Make some miracles for your generation, your kids, your grandchildren. What are they going to say about you when it's your time to depart and go, go on to glory? Will there be stories to tell? There could be. Should be. If together right now we voice a prayer before a holy God and commit ourselves to do whatever is necessary, whatever it takes, for Myrtle Grove Baptist again to rise and see glory days ahead, Amen. then the Lord who's in this room right now, he's here, friend. He'll hear it. And if your heart is pure, God will do it. Now, if you're able, some of you are seniors, you're not able if you're able, kneel down. If you're where you can, kneel down. I'm going to kneel too. And I just want you to repeat. You already heard the kind of prayer I'm going to pray. I just want you to repeat it after me. Okay? Would you say, please, from your heart, let's start out, Lord Jesus. 
forgive us of any sin, any compromise in our life. Today, on September 11th, 2022, I give myself fresh anew to you. God, let a Gideon spirit fall on each of us. Take away the fear. We believe you could do great things with our church. And we're willing to do whatever it takes on our part to see it happen. In Jesus' name. Now, I'm going to say a prayer for all of you, okay? Lord Jesus Christ, I want to thank you for the spirit that presides at this time in this church's, this local church's history here at Myrtle Grove Baptist. Father, I feel the same spirit that was there 25 years ago in 1997 with the remnant that had remained at Myrtle Grove Baptist is present and here in this room right now. God, is there affecting even now an evangelistic outreach into their community? I pray, dear Lord, every person here, maybe some that are not part of it, will become a part of it. Others will pray fervently, Father, uh, for those that are going out. But Heavenly Father, let them see again the mighty miracles that you accomplished when you brought revival in the early years, Father, of uh, my time here. Do it again, God. Do it again. Let the spirit of revival fall on your people. In the name above every name, we pray it. In Jesus' name. Everybody say, in Jesus' name. Say it again. In Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. God bless you all. You may stand. Now, before you go back to your seat, let me just say something. Understand, I, I understand that this message was for the saints. It's for the members, most of you here. But just in case there's someone here and you're not a member currently of this flock and you came this morning not knowing what to expect, you just witnessed, if you're here, someone out there, you just witnessed a hard commitment from our church here at Myrtle Grove Baptist. If you'd like to make a decision, as these folks go back to their seat, you just come on up. An invitation will be given. If you'd like to join and be a part of Myrtle Grove Baptist, we welcome you to do that today. So as they go back to their seat, uh, Cody will begin an invitation song.